The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to the Gospel of John chapter 10. The title of the message tonight is Jesus at Hanukkah. And I want to share with you about when Jesus in the Bible went to Hanukkah. There's a very powerful story and an application for you and me and the times in which we live right now. Um, And we're also, just to let you know, afterwards, because it's the beginning of the month, we're going to lay hands on one another. We're going to pray for the sick to be healed because Jesus is alive. He is risen And there's people that need to be healed, not only here, but you may have family and friends that are battling all kinds of illnesses or whatever. And not only that, but we're going to be praying for people that God would bring provision. I know that there are some of you that maybe have lost your job, uh, you're in between, or you're, you're facing economic challenges. So we're going to wait on the Lord. And we're going to have some time at the end of the service where you can just enter into a time of worship. Uh, waiting on the Lord. We call it an afterglow. If you need special prayer, we want to lay hands on you, bless you, minister to you, encourage you, and comfort you. Amen? Amen? So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. And now, Lord Jesus, as we enter into the Gospel of John and follow you into the temple courts, Solomon's porch, at a time that is known as Hanukkah. Lord, what what do you want to say to us tonight? What is your word to each individual that is here tonight? May we hear your word. I believe that it's a very powerful word, a very personal word, a very supernatural word for all of those who are going to hear this message. And quite honestly, it's a very prophetic word and timely word. With all that we see happening and all that's going on in our country, our nation, let alone our world in this generation. So we welcome the Holy Spirit into now the living temple. We're the living stones, each believer that is filled with your spirit and with your glory and with your grace. Lord, may you be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 10, verses 22 and 23 say this. Now, it was the feast of Hanukkah, or dedication, in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, I put in here, uh, I translated the word dedication into what it is in Hebrew. It was the feast of Hanukkah, or the dedication time of Hanukkah in Jerusalem. So why would I put that in there? Because in the Hebrew language, the word for dedication is Hanukkah. Everybody say Hanukkah. Hanukkah. You just spoke Hebrew. (laughs) And Jesus went to Hanukkah. He was at the feast known as the Feast of Hanukkah in Jerusalem. And I also want you to notice that it was in winter. So Hanukkah is something that started several hundred years before 
Uh, Jesus himself was even born. It is something that is celebrated by not only the Jewish people to this day, but our Messianic family, our Jewish brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus as the Messiah also continue to celebrate Hanukkah to this day. So we're going to dive into the story. Where did it come from? What was its history? What happened in the original Hanukkah? What does it mean? Why was Jesus there at Hanukkah? And what was he teaching in the context of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, in light of Hanukkah? And what impact does that have for us today? And again, we're at the time of Hanukkah. By the way, if you don't know, Hanukkah is starting this week. It starts Thursday evening as the sun goes down, where they light the candles for eight days. So I'm going to share with you some things I think that are very interesting. So life lesson number one, this is the story of cleansing and rededicating the temple of God. So that's that's what this uh, festival uh, came to be known as. So let me give you a little bit of the history of the story uh, before Jesus even was born. The story begins with somebody you probably have heard of, read about a little bit, or remember from school, a guy named Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, uh, in a very quick fashion, was raised up. He he was a very dynamic, young man, uh, powerful, uh, intelligent, had tremendous charisma, raised up an army and literally led the Grecian people to defeat the Medo-Persian Empire. Medo-Persian Empire, they ruled the world. But all of a sudden, this young man named Alexander, and he, he got this title attached to him because he conquered the world from Medo-Persia that it had it for so many hundreds of years. He did it so fast, it was like lightning. Now, what's interesting is that we believe that that in the prophets, in the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesied about the coming of this leader named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was actually prophesied by the prophet Daniel that he would come. Uh, He is a he's known as a little horn Uh, that will raise up very quickly and with blinding speed, he will conquer the world. Now, after Alexander the Great died, he he basically, the empire, could not hold on everything together, and so they divided up into four different sections. And Daniel the prophet even said, there will be four empires that will come out of this Grecian empire. And out of the four arose a little horn, And this was the Seleucid king, and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. So now, you know, you've got the Grecian Empire divided into four different empires. And the one leader's name was Antiochus, and he added the name Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And so he brought, and he, the area that he controlled included the the Holy Land. It included the, the Promised Land of Israel. So he ruled over that area. Now, his name was not actually Epiphanes. Epiphanes in Greek means the manifestation. So he called himself, I'm Antiochus Epiphanes. I am the manifestation of God. He literally 
believed that he was a god. Of course, the Greeks believed that there were gods up here that came down here and that men could become gods. And so he basically said, I am a god. And he is ruling over Israel. Now, at the very beginning, uh, this guy, Antiochus, allowed every culture to have their own religion. You could worship whatever way you wanted to. And there were some Jews, though, that were leaving Judaism. They were leaving being religious. They were leaving the commandments of God. They wanted to dress like the Greek girls in Athens. They wanted the music of the Greeks and the culture of the Greeks. The Greeks had a lot of cool stuff, a lot of great culture and the arts. And they had statues of gods and goddesses and all of that. And there were many Jewish people who left the faith of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the laws of God, and the commands of God, and the morality of God. And they said, we want to be like the Greeks. And they said, we love Antiochus. Antiochus is our man. And they basically bowed to him and worshipped him. And so for a while, he let the religious Jews, and then they, they were called the Hellenists, that would follow after the Greek ways. But at a certain point, Antiochus said, no, I, I'm not going to let the Jews worship their God because really our way is the right way. Their way is the wrong way. And not only that, he said, I really feel like I'm a God. So he went and he began to forbid the Jewish people. So little by little, he began to change the strategy because this was Greeks. The Greek philosophy let everybody live the way they want, worship the way they want. They had many gods and goddesses. But now all of a sudden there was a turn and they said, no, we're not happy with live and let live. You gotta believe what we believe. You gotta live the way we believe. And if you have these weird beliefs of one God and this weird morality that you follow and these 10 commandments about a guy named Moses up on a mountain, we don't like that and we're not with that. So he literally started to forbid them little by little, one step at a time. He said, you can't keep the Sabbath anymore. Imagine if you're a religious Jew. That's like, wow, no, that's like God gave it to. We got to keep that. He said, no, you can't keep the Sabbath anymore. And not only that, he stopped the sacrifices. He said he, he disallowed, he ceased for them to have sacrifice, which was the Bible in the Old Testament said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God was teaching them through the years of the sacrifice of substitute animals. He was preparing the way for the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who would die for the sins of the world. So he literally stopped that. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He forbade them from speaking their own Hebrew language. He then went on to say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put a statue of Zeus in your temple, in the holy place. So he literally took a statue of Zeus, the Greek god, and he put it into the temple. And then, and he had somebody make the statue of Zeus. And the people of Jerusalem noticed that those who went and saw it, they said, wow, Zeus's face looks exactly like Antiochus, Epiphanes. He literally put his face on Zeus so that when the people came to worship, they were literally worshiping him as a god. And then, you know, the coup de grace was when he literally said, now, I want you to take a pig 
And I want you to bring that into the altar in the holy place, sacrifice a pig on the altar. How many of you know that did not go well with the Jewish people? So there was a rebellion against it. And he literally, they, they called what he did the ceasing of the sacrifices and then the replacement of it by sacrificing a pig. They called it the abomination of desolation. That's what the Jewish people said. It was an abomination that brought the judgment of God and desolation. Does that ring any bells? The abomination of desolation. Well, interestingly, the New Testament scriptures tell us that in the future, there is going to be another world leader who will say all the religions must combine and be one. And he will literally stop people those that are in the temple, once the temple is reestablished and sacrifices are made, he will cause the sacrifices to cease. And it is called, again, the abomination of desolation. So what I want you to know and to understand is that I think it's important for us to read and study and learn and know the history and the story of Hanukkah. Because if I can put it to you this way, Hanukkah is a blueprint of what's going to happen again in the last days. And I believe that we are living in the last days. It is literally a blueprint. So then he literally took, our, you know, his soldiers, they would go to a little Jewish community and he would force a Jewish man to sacrifice a pig in their community while everybody else watched. Well, one of the Hellenists who was kind of like, yeah, I'll go along with the Greek culture, he went and he sacrificed a pig and he's praying and worshiping to Antiochus or whatever. And there was a Jewish man standing there and he just said his heart was torn open and he literally went and he, he killed that compromised Jewish man. There were, Rome, there were soldiers there, Greek soldiers, and they started to go after him. And so he and a couple of his brothers went and they killed that man. And then they ran and they fled into the wilderness. And this family was known as the Maccabees. How many of you have heard of the Maccabees? So many of you have not heard of the Maccabees. The Maccabees were a Jewish family, again, before the time of Christ, who were being forced into this worship of Greek this Greek God that was a man, and they went into the wilderness, and then they started doing, basically they said, look, we're not gonna line up and go after the Greek army, they'll mow us down and we'll be wiped out. So they started doing, basically, guerrilla warfare. They would go in and attack here, and then they would run and hide. They would attack wherever they felt like they could have the advantage, and they started, now, the reports were that they gained victories and they conquered this little battalion and this little group and this over here. All of the Jewish people that are, have been afraid and in, cowed and intimidated are going, hey, these guys keep winning. And so little by little, the people of ancient Israel started leaving their homes, going into the wilderness, joining the Maccabees, so the little tiny spark of a family uh, that, that began to grow and multiply, and then they became stronger and more powerful, and literally, finally, there was a day that came when the Israeli forces under the leadership of Judas or Judah Maccabee, known as the Hammer, 
He was called the hammer because wherever he went, there was power and there was victory. They literally conquered the Greek armies and kicked them out of Jerusalem. And then they said, oh my gosh, now that we've kicked out these these Greek soldiers, they went to the temple and there was pig's blood and there was statues and gods and goddesses and all of this stuff. And they said, we need to rededicate the temple. This is the time that we need to rededicate it. So they came for the rededication of the temple. And as they came to do that, there was something that, that happened. They, they came to the menorah. You know, the menorah, the seven-branch candlestick that is supposed to be there to be the light, the seven lights that are in the holy place. The only thing that is light in the Holy of Holies is the menorah. And they only had one day's worth of oil. So I want to share this with you, uh, the next life lesson. You fight the darkness by shining into it the light of God. Can I hear an amen on that? To rededicate the temple, they wanted to relight the menorah that was in the Holy of Holies. And so as they came, there were these, all of these zealots that had come, but they were religious in nature, and now they have restored that. And I want to just say that Jesus is our new Maccabee. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, who had come to overthrow the enemies of his children and of the kingdoms of this world and establish his kingdom. Can I hear an amen on that? The Lord Jesus will come. But here's the difference, because, you know, when they're commemorating that, they're really commemorating these zealots. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are several groups. There are four different groups of Jewish religious people in the Bible that are talked about. You have Pharisees. I think we mostly know about them. They believed in all of the scriptures and the prophets, and they believed in miracles and the resurrection. Then there were the Sadducees. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not believe in the life after death, and they didn't really believe in anything supernatural. They believed in laws and morality, kind of the Ten Commandments, and you should be a good person, a nice person. And, but they were really more into materialism and living for this world. So they, they kind of had a faith, but it was limited in its ways. But there was a third group, and the third group were called zealots. The zealots were those who, in the days of Jesus said, you know what, We're, we've got Rome on our, you know, the, the, the boot of Rome is upon us, just like the Greeks were upon us in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. And the only way we can bring the kingdom of God is to be like Judah Maccabee, and we need to kill Roman soldiers. And they were called zealots. They were the ancient Jewish patriots that said, we need to go and do what they did and do guerrilla warfare and literally fight them and kill them and attack them and overthrow them and God will defend us. Now, what is interesting is Jesus now comes to Jerusalem on Solomon's porch at the time of Hanukkah. But as our new leader, because there were enemies then, just as there are even unto this day. But Jesus was going to lead us in a different way. He's not, he doesn't want us to, be, to fight 
with arms and with war and with zealotry. But know this, one of the disciples, if you remember, there was a zealot. His name was Simon. So Jesus chose as one of his 12, somebody that had a pure heart. They believed that just like the Maccabees did, and they did rededicate the temple. And thank God that there were Maccabees to keep it pure and not assimilate into the world. But now Jesus is coming and he picks Simon the Zealot to be one of the 12. But Jesus is not going to say we need to take up arms and overcome this world. He goes, we're going to fight in a very, very different way. And we're going to fight by lighting the light of the kingdom of heaven and the light of the glory of God, which is love. And I'm going to demonstrate that because I'm going to war with the head of our enemy, Satan, and I'm going to destroy all of his works from the beginning of time, from Adam and until now. And here's how I will destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to give my body, because I am a good shepherd, and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not going to take lives. I'm not going to kill lives. I'm not going to take over militarily. I'm going to submit myself to my father. I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to lay down my life like a good shepherd would. And when I die on the cross, I'm going to break the power of sin and of Satan for all time and for all of eternity. That is our Maccabee. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is that when they came to dedicate, rededicate the menorah. So we're back to the story a little bit. They, they found that the menorah had only one day's worth of oil. Now the idea was that the oil, you know, you needed oil in the menorah. The, that light represented the real light of the glory of God. It should never be extinguished. It should never go out because God's, God is light and he is eternal. They only had one day. And in order for the priest to make a special oil, there were special ingredients that had to be put together in a special way uh, that was only to be used in the temple. It had fragrances, spices, different things that are given in the scriptures to put together for the holy anointing oil. And it was only to be used. That's what holy means, separate, pure, only to be used in the holy of holies in this way. And it would take them eight days to make a new batch. And here they come in and they only have that one day. So they lit it with what they had and then they prayed and they, they repented for the sins of their, their own sins. They repented for the sins of their parents and their forefathers and mothers who had rebelled against God because the reason that Alexander the Great had been able to come in and conquer is because they had rebelled against the Lord and God allowed their enemies to come and to overthrow them. So they repented and they sought God and they asked forgiveness. And the story goes that even though they only had one cruise of oil, the menorah continued to remain lit with fire and with light and to light up that holy place, and it miraculously lasted exactly eight days. Which was how long it took them to make the special 
anointing oil. By the way, we believe that, that some of the fragrances, spices, and aromas of that anointing oil, why did God go into such detail to give all of that? Because apparently there's something about the fragrance of that anointing oil that is an earthly picture of what it actually smells like in the kingdom of heaven. Is that awesome? That God would have us, God uses the natural world to show us as through a window pictures of the supernatural world. So the miracle of the oil and the lights lasting eight days. So that's what Jewish people do and that's what our Jewish brothers and sisters do every year. At the same time, and, and notice it's always in winter. Why? Because the first time they came in to rededicate uh, the temple to the Lord, it was during winter time. That's when it happens. And it miraculously lasted eight days. Now, I want to just share with you a few things of, of the significance of the number eight. There's a lot of significance. I don't know if you knew that numbers in the Bible have significance. They have prophetic meaning. They have layers of meaning. The first thing that we note is that Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day. He rose from the dead on Sunday. It was after the Sabbath, right? It was the third day from whence he had been crucified. So the resurrection literally happened on the eighth day. Therefore, eight, so you have, you know, the beginning day and you go to the Sabbath, which is the seventh day, and then the octave, if you will, of the eighth day is, it means new beginnings or resurrection. Can I hear an amen on that? Did you know that there are eight covenants between God and Abraham? Isn't that interesting? Did you know that Abraham had eight sons? The Feast of Tabernacles lasts for eight days. When the whole world was covered with a flood, it was, the Noah, it was Noah who was the eighth person who stepped out into a new earth to commence a new order of humanity on the earth. The recorded miracles of the mighty prophet Elijah are eight in number. And then Elisha had a double portion. So guess how many miracles are talked about by Elisha? 16. It is the numerical value of the name of Jesus Christ. If you take the Greek alphabet, you put a numer numerology to it, the name of Jesus literally comes out to mean 888. And interestingly, circumcision was to be performed on a male child dedicated to the Lord on the eighth day. There are eight steps which lead from the outer court into the inner court of the temple, according to Ezekiel 47. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks a lot about how Jesus would go up to a mountain to pray or the Mount of Transfiguration. Did you know that Jesus is mentioned being on mountains eight times? We read that David was the eighth son that God raised up to be the leader, and of course, he is the model of who the Messiah would be. So hence, the, the number eight is especially uh, associated with resurrection and regeneration. So during Hanukkah, on each of the eight nights, a candle is lit 
And there, so I want to, so you, here's a picture. But now this is different from menorah. It's another kind of a menorah. Menorah is a Hebrew word for a, a you know, candelabra or whatever. But if you count these, how many, how many candles are there? There's nine. Four on one side, four on the other side, but there's one in the middle. So literally, though, it's, it's to be candle lighting for eight days. You start the first night, uh, which actually begins Thursday night at sundown. You light one candle. But you take the center candle that is not part of the eight. It's called in Hebrew the shamash. Everybody say shamash. It means the servant branch. It is the light that lights all other lights. And our Messianic brothers and sisters say that's a picture of Jesus, who is the light of the world, who lights our way for us. So on the first night, you light the first candle, and you let it burn for a while, and then you pray and rededicate your heart and life to the Lord. So the temple, I believe, that we need to rededicate is our own bodies. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 said, Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is the pleasing will of God. Don't be conformed to this world, assimilation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, holy, acceptable will of God. We're the temple that needs to be rededicated to the glory of the Lord. Amen? So I think it would be good, you know, we're in a very dark uh, time, and literally this happens every year at Christmas time, similar to Christmas. It is always during the winter when the, the days are the shortest and the nights are the longest. And I don't know if you, some of you may want to, you know, get some, uh, Hanukkah candle and begin lighting lights for eight nights, or even if you just have one candle that you want to light and pray for eight days and remember, Lord, let us just rededicate our hearts and lives to you, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified in all of our lives. Look at me in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Let's read this out loud. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world, and we need light, and we need to uh, literally let our light shine. We need to light lights in the world. Lighting a light means speaking God's word, God's promises, God's truth, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Let your mouth speak of the good things of the Lord God Almighty. Put his word in your heart and then speak it forth, sing it forth, praise it forth, and give him the glory so that you become like a burning candle giving glory to our Lord in heaven. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to just say something else. We've mentioned before how we believe that Jesus was actually born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, that's also celebrated for eight days. And the whole point of Tabernacles is that God would tabernacle among us. 
How beautiful then that Jesus would tabernacle among us, that he was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. But if Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, it means that he was conceived nine months earlier, which would have been Hanukkah. Isn't that interesting? Literally the conception, the moment that began, because the world is full of darkness. How many would agree we live in a very, very dark world? And the light of God was conceived, maybe, during the very time of Hanukkah, just as the lights were being relit and rededicated in the temple of the living God. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Let's read this scripture out loud. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. During the darkest time in human history, God sent his son, the light of the world, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I want to close with this little thought before we, and we can get the worship team getting ready to come up and we'll get ready to worship the Lord and have communion. But during Hanukkah, our Messianic family, uh, they, they have, you know, portions of the scriptures that they read every week. And every year, they read the same portions of Scripture as they go through it. So our Jewish brothers and sisters, they read through the Old Testament, but then because they're believers in Jesus, they add the New Testament. So they, but they read the same section at the same week, year after year. And it's very interesting that the section that the Jewish people and our brothers and sisters read during the entire month of Kislev, which is kind of like our month of December, they read the stories of Joseph. They read about Joseph in the Old Testament. And uh, in fact, the entire month of Kislev is often called the month of dreams. And it's probably because the nights are longer, the days are shorter, you end up spending more time in bed, sleeping more, so you have more dreams. And it's a great time to take those dreams and bring them to the Lord. Now, as they read the stories about Joseph, there are no less than nine dreams that are in this section, which it brings us back to the, the light, the nine candles that are there for Hanukkah. And the primary figure connected to dreams in the Bible is Joseph, who was nicknamed by his brothers as the dreamer. And he was later called the decipher of secrets by Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, that guy, when he dreams, talks to the gods. And that God reveals himself to him through dreams. But prophetically, Jesus reveals himself to us as the disguised Egyptian. I'm sure you've heard this, or hopefully, if you've never heard it, reading the story of Joseph who was rejected by his brothers and despised by his brothers and left his brothers and went into a far country, into a Gentile land. <laughs> and then only later, they run out of food, they're in trouble, they're dying of starvation. And the father says, all right, go down to Egypt and 
See if they'll have compassion on us. And they said, we're Jews. They'll kill us. He said, well, good. Then you die faster. It's a long, you know, slow by, you know, we're starving to death. Maybe they'll have compassion. So the brothers end up going down and they see this young, tall, mature Egyptian who has got gold in his face, which like the Egyptians, royalty, speaking in Egyptian. And they do not recognize who it is. But who is it? It's their brother Joseph who keeps going through an interpreter. But Joseph asks them, tell me about, do you have any other brothers? And they're like, how does he know? Yeah, we have another brother back, a little one, a younger one. Well, it was Joseph's brother through his mom, Benjamin. How is your father? Why is he asking all of these personal questions? And then finally, there was a moment and there was a time where Joseph told all of the Egyptians, as he played this game, he sent them back and so forth, and he said, all right, all of the Egyptians out of my palace. And it's just Joseph and these, his brothers. He begins to weep and tears streaming down his eyes. And then he begins speaking to them for the very first time in Hebrew. You guys, I am your brother. I'm Joseph. You're not going to die. You're not going to starve. Neither is my dad or my little brother, Benjamin. Look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I'm running the whole world. And the day is coming when Jesus, whom many Jewish people think he's a Gentile, he's for all the Christian Goyim Gentiles. They don't recognize him, but he's coming back. And he's going to reveal himself to them. And they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall weep for him as one weeps for his only dearly beloved son. And he's going to say, I'm alive. What you meant for evil, Father has meant for good. Not only that, I'm running the entire universe. And I'm here to save you and deliver you and bring the kingdom of our Father to the earth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.